the Super Jump Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Mitchell Farley Wolf, and I'm here today with the editor in chief of Super Jump Magazine, James Burns. Hey, James, how's it going? It's going great. How are you? I am exhausted from a lot of things. Uh, it's been almost a month now, but I'm, I feel like I'm still, even even now, kind of like recovering from E3. Uh, <laughs> E3 takes takes some time to like return to normal life from. But uh, not much is going on. How? Uh, what's up with stuff? How are you? What, what are you up to? Well, aside from, you know, uh, all the day-to-day stuff, uh, lots of busy non-magazine stuff going on at the moment, um, I'm actually um, working on a couple of really, really big and really interesting exclusive pieces for super jump magazine right now that we will hopefully publish fairly soon um i think this might be the first time i've ever actually spruiked the magazine in that way on this show mitchell really no i'm sure we have i'm sure we've um have we really just smacked people over the head right up front like that Uh, but uh, no, probably <laughs> maybe season one season one is completely wiped from my memory i have no idea what we did back then yeah yeah uh, me too <laughs> uh so we have a few um few cleanup stuff uh to talk about just a, just a few little pieces of news from after the e3 cycle we talked about most of the bigger stuff in the last episode that i did with jeff onan talking about not just the um, press conferences and all of that but also the experience of being on the floor and what it was like at E3. Um, talked about how uh, we, we played some of the smaller titles. Uh, I mean, we also talked about like Luigi's Mansion and Avengers and all that. But um, as, as is usual, the, a lot of the most interesting stuff at E3, I haven't read like any articles about. So um, if, if you're interested in that, go back and listen to the last episode. But for today... Uh, we got a lot of other stuff going on. First and foremost, let's get into our Playtime Report. James, what have you been playing? I've been obsessed, obsessed, Mitchell, with Super Mario Maker 2. Fantastic. I uh, love that. That's great. Totally, ridiculously obsessed. To the point where, uh, and I haven't had this with a game for a long time, but I've been at work thinking about the next level I'm going to (laughs) make or the next, the next (laughs) course I'm going to make, I should say, because they're very particular about that. There's almost a little bit of an an internal joke in, in super Mario maker two about, no, no, we call them courses, not levels, uh, which is kind (laughs) of cute. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting because I actually never owned the original on Wii U. I think I borrowed it from my sister at one stage and I played it really briefly. And it was, I think I, I sort of played it at a time when I was really winding down with Wii U and I was sort of not really playing it anymore. Um, so I didn't, I, I kind of never really got into it and I'd watched, um, the Nintendo Treehouse live coverage of Super Mario Maker 2. And I just thought it looked so nuts that I had to get it. Um, (laughs) And it is just amazing. And it's amazing 
like the thing I find interesting is it's amazing as a creative tool, the actual make or maker side of the game is, is absolute genius. It's so brilliantly made, but even if you go into this as someone who is sort of worried that, you know, maybe you're not all that creative with course design, you don't really know where to start. You find it a bit intimidating. Um, you can jump into this and play it as a Mario game. And like, it might sound weird, but this is one of the best Mario games I've played in a very long time. It's just as a Mario game, it's really, really cool. It's, it's really crazy and interesting. Yeah, I saw a lot of that story mode stuff, and uh, I I wrote an article for Super Jump. You see, let's let's just keep plugging that magazine. Yeah. Um, I wrote an article <laughs> for Super Jump maybe a year, year and a half ago, or something like that, mm-hmm. um, about the ten things I would want in a Super Mario Maker for Switch. Yes, and a good amount of them are in there. Um, I had a different idea about which game styles should be added. Definitely didn't mm-hmm. predict 3D World. I think I specified Super Mario Land 2, the Game Boy one, as a, as a potential one. They, yeah. I think they picked a more interesting one than I had in mind, so good on them. <laughs> uh, and, and what I really wanted was like a built-in actual Mario game that Nintendo made. Mm-hmm. Um, say, that it would basically be like saying, hey, uh, this isn't just like a watered-down version of of a mario game that you can make this is a fully featured mario game you can make uh to to illustrate that here is like super mario brothers 10 or whatever and we're making it we we made every level within the game itself and the story mode in in mario maker 2 is very similar to that and uh it's it's maybe not quite there in terms of being a standalone experience that you can make at like on your own um but it, it it's definitely reaching for for what i was thinking there so i'm i'm glad to see that i'm i'm glad to see that going on but are are you uh getting involved in in like playing some of the the crazier online levels as well yeah i am and um it's <clears throat> the thing that i i kind of was interested in going into that was I know that one of the things these games are famous for are these kind of crazy Kaizo levels that are just punishing and designed to make you die. Um, but what has been a really pleasant surprise is going into the course world mode and actually finding a ton of levels, uh, sorry, courses, a ton of courses. <laughs> okay, yeah, where... I mean, let's be clear. We don't want the Nintendo lawyers on us. We don't, yeah, yeah, the Nintendo police. Um, finding a ton of courses that are really carefully, thoughtfully designed um, and that are, I guess it sounds obvious, but that are designed to be playable, if that makes sense. Like they're not sure, just, yeah. you know, they're not just punishing death traps. They're actually really, really thoughtful and they have interesting some of them have really interesting puzzle design and um uh like there's there's one course i played i wish i could remember the name um it's a super mario brothers theme with the the desert theme on top and it's basically like a vertical course where you're you're kind of in the bottom of this pyramid in the base 
and you work your way up gradually and there's all these interesting kind of puzzles along the way you get to the top and the level kind of uh folds in on itself so you go up one way right to the top and then you come down a different way um and you get this power up that kind of allows you to smash through blocks as you're coming down the other way and it's it's i'm not describing it well i'll i'll need to maybe <laughs> no I, um, I think i get it <laughs> i'll need to maybe uh share it share the find the code and share it in our in our podcast article but it's it's just so <laughs> so clever like everyone should play it it's so clever um and that's the big fun of course world i think like you play some of these courses and you just kind of um I kind of think to myself, like, how how did the creator actually come up with these ideas? Uh, and the nice thing is you can actually download any of those courses yourself and, and access it from maker mode. Um, so that's really cool because you can actually see how it ticks and then you can go in and kind of modify it and tear it apart if you want to. Yeah, I um, I, I think there's some issues with the game in regards to its content, I know a lot of people are complaining about how limited the 3D world palette of mm. options seems compared to the other ones. Um, and, and they're not necessarily being any obvious reason why you can't just have things like the clear pipes in some of the older themes. Like, why why not just in, implement that, that in uh, Mar Mario Bros. 3? Or whatever. So I, I, I'm hoping that some of that kind of stuff gets patched and, and uh, added to the game via on ongoing DLC. Like what happened with Mario Maker 1. A lot of stuff was added over time mm. to, well, there's to a, that place. When you're in Maker Mode and you're looking at all the themes or all the styles, um, one thing that, that's kind of interesting there is you've got all of your, however many it is, five or six standard styles. And then... There's a section underneath that's called Extra Styles, and that's where Super Mario 3D World is. There's a tile for that. But the spot that it sits in, the kind of bucket that it sits in, looks like it has space for several other tiles. So I think it'll be interesting to see if they actually add more, like if they plan DLC packs with new styles. Um, that would be cool. Is that did they do that with the original? I can't remember. No, they or did they just add like that the original had? Um, they yeah. they added mostly um, new features. Like the original game launched completely without checkpoints, and that was a huge thing. Yeah, uh, people okay. were adding. They just said like any kind of long level longer than maybe a minute and a half is just completely unbearable in mm. Mario Maker One. So they added checkpoints. Then they added some some random things like um, I think the red coins that make a key that was in addition in DLC uh, the fire shooting clown car for some reason the original clown car was there the one that shot fire was DLC uh, <laughs> in Mario Maker One for for yeah. some reason it it seemed somewhat arbitrary what they were adding mm. uh, but I'd, I'd like to see that get get a little a little more fleshed out um or, or even take it only the things they already have and just spread them across the other 
themes. Like, I know Yoshi wasn't in Mario Bros. 1, but why can't he be, you know? I'd, I'd like him to... I'd like to see what a Yoshi would look like in that theme. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it looks like it looks like a really fun time. It's amazing. And again, I don't know if the original had this mode, but there's a... Or had an equivalent to this, but there's a mode called Yamamura's Dojo, which the only negative I can, the only negative thing I can say about it is that it's not really interactive. You're just kind of watching this conversation happen and you're scrolling through text, but it's really, if you're interested in actually making courses, it's worth going through. Um, and it basically involves this, this pigeon called Yamamura, who is an expert course designer. Uh, and he's teaching Nina who is like a junior course maker, mm. these principles of great course design. And it's actually like you can, each lesson is a really bite-sized individual kind of idea or concept. And they're split into kind of beginner, intermediate, advanced lessons. It's really worth going through them, if only from the perspective that it's, it's, it's like going to Nintendo University like, um, as they're kind of talking through each of these lessons, aside from the fact that they're interesting unto themselves, you actually, as you're watching these lessons play out, your mind kind of goes back to the older Mario games and you can actually see how they've implemented those lessons all through the years. Um, so that in itself is actually really cool. And I think, um... I think I saw earlier today, uh, someone's put them up on YouTube. So, you know, even if you just want to watch them oh, nice. on YouTube, they're, they're quite it's, worth It's watching. more about like design than using the tools or, or anything on a technical level. Is that yeah, right? that's what that's what I really like about it. It's, oh, cool. it's more about actual design concepts um, and like how players behave and, you know, like they'll take a scenario... Nina will play through this little scenario and then Yamamura will sort of say, okay, well, how can we make that more interesting? How can we vary it? You know, how can we add difficulty without making it unfair? And what does it mean to have unfair difficulty? It actually gets into these really interesting little concepts around um, kind of all of these core principles of how to build a great Mario platformer. That's really neat. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll have to look at some of those videos. I, I didn't know about that. Um, yeah. Speaking of Nintendo's output with very creative games, um, mm -hmm. I played through Cadence of Hyrule. Now nice. I think I think you did as well, right? I did. Yes. Okay. Yes, cool. I did. Great. Um, this game was a really nice surprise. I wasn't expecting it to be bad or anything, but I expected it to be more like maybe it's just a sequel or expansion to crypt of the necrodancer and now it's it's zelda themed like you have a zelda layer on it and that's not what it is at all it's almost mm. a full zelda game with more more it's more like it's a full zelda game but has some crypt of the necrodancer elements uh and and, and the the gameplay's changed up so it, it like feels like you're going through an overworld it doesn't just feel like an overworld shaped or skinned dungeon or anything 
There, there's yeah. some great ideas in Cadence of Hyrule. Yeah, I I have the exact same feeling as you. I thought this game was so cool. And yeah, like I, I kind of, I, I picked it up as a bit of a, you know, I was curious about it. I'd never played Crypt of the Necrodancer, you know, prior to this. So this was my first time same with one of these games and i was really pleasantly surprised like as i was playing through it i'm i'm thinking well to me this is just a zelda like this is just a cool interesting zelda game um and and i feel like for the developers um that's surely got to be one of the highest compliments you can pay this game the fact that you would at all kind of put it alongside the other stuff that Nintendo's made in this franchise. Um, yeah, really I mean, speaks it's closer to, the quality to of this. something like A Link to the Past than modern Zelda is, like Breath yeah. of the Wild. It's It really yeah. is a Zelda game. Mm. And it, it yep. feels uh, as fun to explore as a Zelda game. And something I, I really like that I, I didn't know I was wanting is that it's mm. a Zelda game that is completable... 100% within like seven, six hours. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it doesn't feel necessarily like the overworld is any smaller or less populated than a link to the pasts or something, but it, it feels like there's so much, um, I don't want to say cruft because a link to the past didn't have cruft. It didn't have fat on it really. But it does feel like there there was fat that was trimmed. It it, it feels like, um, it it's just it's time to go. There are exactly enough NPCs to make the world interesting and and to make the a, your adventure feel like it has a flavor. And there are exactly as much dungeons as needed to uh, teach you about how this game works. And there's exactly as much playtime needed to make it not monotonous, but uh, to to just show everything off. I'm I'm a huge fan of this game. I think it turned out really well. Yeah, me too. I I really really enjoyed this, and I probably um once my obsession with Super Mario Maker two dies off a little bit, I'll I'm sure I'll be going back and playing this again. Yeah, especially just because it's 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 so fast to go through. It's it's not that much of a mm. of a commitment. When I first played it, I was really nervous because I <laughs> I turned it on and I didn't. Um, I didn't not get the rhythm mechanic. I, I understood it. I, I knew how to make it work. I knew how to do it. But just it was so much to think about that I felt myself just getting so, so um, caught up in, in, in the, the music and, and the, the dance of Cadence of Hyrule that mm. I, I was tripping my, over my own feet. I, I wasn't really making it through uh, any any places like i i started the game near the lost woods uh and, and the map is randomized every time i went to the lost woods and i knew how to go through it but i just i just kept dying over and over and over again mm -hmm. and i uh, i put the game down I, I put the switch on sleep mode and then i went on sleep mode and when i woke up i tried it again and it just automatically worked i maybe i was <laughs> just tired or I just needed to have tried it a second time, but it everything clicked and I was just like dodging in and out and 
moving between enemies and, and staying in their their blind spots it was it was awesome like i all of a sudden i could play the game and uh i i know i know some people that were were nervous that maybe they don't have rhythm or they don't have like a, a good sense of being able to make decisions in a quick amount of time yeah so they were nervous about this game I would recommend you try it anyway. It might end up being a problem for you, um, but just try it a few times. Bang your head against the wall until it makes a crack and see if your head <laughs> cracked or the wall cracked, because I bet the wall yeah. will crack. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and I had I had an identical experience. I when The first few minutes of playing it, exact same thing. Like, I, I sort of... I, I got it and I, you know, I, I understood what it was about and everything, but I just, something about it initially didn't click, which worried me a little bit. And same thing, I put it down, went back to it a while later, and somehow at a certain point, I just kind of got into a flow state with it and it just made sense intuitively. And I I went from being a little bit concerned to just thinking, Oh my God, this is amazing. I can't stop playing it. Um, yeah, it's so, that. And then it's also that balance with the fact that it's a near complete open world game. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're balancing trying to get good at this mechanic with uh, trying to keep the map in your head and, and trying to remember, okay, I didn't fully explore that area yet. I still yeah. need to go to that place. Um, yeah. So, so there's a lot to think about, but, um you know how to do the hokey pokey and if you keep going through this game you will learn what it's all about and um you'll 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 get there i i definitely recommend uh just trying this especially if you're a zelda fan but um even if you're not really because a lot of what people play zelda for isn't here like a, like the long form epic story or the mm. sense of like adventure and grandeur that's not necessarily in this one um yeah but a, a real toned down, kind of maybe sillier version of that tone is here, and it's great, and I, I recommend it 100%. James, I've also... Okay, so get this. At E3, <laughs> uh, I was walking around Xbox's booth, and they had... To say it's a booth would be playing it down so much. It's in the Microsoft Theater, and you can go on the stage and play all the, all the games were on the Microsoft stage. They had hired these these people to give out these little cards with uh, check marks on them, and if you went to enough people and you like did a little scavenger hunt, you played enough games, they would stamp off this card until you got five stamps. If you got five stamps, they would give you another card, and that card had like a scratch off for it, and everyone who got one of those cards got a certain number of months of Xbox game pass ultimate for free which is their oh, new cool. combination of xbox gold or live gold and game pass mm -hmm. uh, basically everything you would need to play online with a like a bunch of free games hundreds of free games and they were just mm -hmm. giving these out for free um so i was thinking i have one of these cards for um for three months that i have not redeemed the code for and I might um, either just do a sweepstakes for this podcast. Uh, I might put something in the show notes to uh, try to give that out. If you want three months for free of Xbox Live Gold 
and Game Pass Ultimate, uh, there there might be an opportunity to get it. With the amount of listeners that this podcast gets, you might have a pretty good shot. Um, but also, I had one for myself, and <laughs> I looked at, at what Game Pass is now. And I was on Game Pass before, like a year ago when it first started, and it was good. It, it had a lot of stuff going for it. Um, I, I think the fact that it, Sea of Thieves came out on it day and date with when uh, Sea of Thieves actually launched was, was amazing, you know? And, and then yeah. it kept having other things that came out for the Xbox later that year, like State of Decay 2 and Crackdown 3, which were less amazing, but uh, there as soon as they came out. And they were $60 games, and you're just getting them for free. Now, though, so many third-party companies have gotten in there and gotten on, on, on that grind. So I, I downloaded so many things. I downloaded mm-hmm. uh, just Master Chief Collection, got all the Halo games for, for free. Uh, Gears of War, pretty much all of them got those. Uh, the first Hitman game. Uh, all the Fable games, all of, uh, there's some Castlevania games, just so many stuff, so many things yeah. that you've probably been hearing about for years, and in the back of your head you're thinking like, I'll play that when it's cheaper. Well, it's yeah. near free right now. This podcast is not sponsored by Xbox Game Pass, <laughs> but it's just amazing how many things, just $60 purchases completely for free you can get with with game pass uh, ultimate and i believe ultimate it includes the xbox game pass the pc version of game pass which has a slightly different library but also um tons of games and xbox live gold for 15 dollars a month every month if you pay that for a year that is the equivalent of buying three 60 triple a video games so if you're ever going to play like more than three a year game pass ultimate is such an such a crazy good deal because you're going from paying for three games with that same amount of money to just paying for Mm. hundreds and uh i i'm i'm more amazed by it than i am actually like excited by it if that makes any (laughs) sense i like i don't know how i i've we've talked about how it none of what microsoft does makes any sense on this show before uh, this is one of those times. I, I still don't get it, but uh, I, I've, I've played two games with Game Pass so far that I'd, I want to talk about here on Playtime Report. Um, first one, we'll go through kind of quickly because it's, it's, uh, it's older. Rivals of Ether is mm-hmm. a platform fighting game, very clearly inspired by Super Smash Brothers, but with um, an entirely new world and, and original characters, although there are a couple of indie crossovers in there as well that yeah. i was really impressed by james um seeing seeing that it was pixel art kind of made me feel like oh well, i i kind of know what pixel art feels like when it looks like that you know <laughs> like I, I, yeah. I see that and i i'm picturing like okay it either plays really authentically which is to say kind of sticky because w- when you go back and you actually play it a, a late NES, early Super Nintendo is kind of when, when what this game looks like. Yeah. Um, when you play one of those games, their their controls are a bit dated, and if you play mm. a modern game that looks like that, uh, their controls are maybe unpolished. Not that Rivals of Ether looks bad, but it it looks like it belongs to a style 
that some bad things are part of <laughs> if if i can if i can say it like that um yeah. but it, it doesn't it, it it plays so smoothly and and the animation when you're actually controlling it and you're actually making those moves happen are are so fluid with such uh such a small number of pixels to account for i don't know how they accomplished that fluidity but they do and it's cool um shovel knight is in it but i haven't played shovel knight uh because i don't believe he's in the xbox version yet and Ori from Ori in the Blind Forest is in it. Um, similarly, oh, have cool. not played Ori, but some of the uh, original characters are actually really cool. I I, um, I was told that people that play a lot of Smash Brothers might uh, might like the character Zetterburn, who is just this fire uh, this fire elemental lion that controls kind of like Fox and Falco in Super Smash Bros. Melee. Um, not exactly like them, but there's some similarities. And I did. I liked Zetterburn a lot. And, and mm-hmm. some of the other characters are, are just uh, so inventive and cool. And it's neat to see something that has the gameplay feel quality that Smash Bros. has that isn't Smash Bros. at all. Like, there, there's no yeah. focus on crossovers. There's no focus on being a Nintendo Hall of Fame or anything. There's no focus yeah. on being a big AAA $60 video game. It, it's just very much its own thing. Is this like a? Uh, is this kind of like a brawler where you're combining fighting and platforming, or is it more? Is it more heavier on the fighting side of things, or? It really is just like Smash Bros. in terms of what you're doing. Um, mm. j- just a, a platform fighter in, in that it has like the stages have platforms, and there's like a big emphasis on jumping oh, and double jumping. Yeah, uh, but yeah. not a platformer. Um, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, if, if you can imagine just um, Smash Bros. with a different skin and a, a slightly different set of mechanics, that's what we're talking about here. And cool. it, it's good. It, it there there are a number of these now. Uh, there for a while, Smash Bros. was kind of the only game in town in this genre, but lately there's been more and more uh, contenders for that throne. And yeah. I don't think anyone's going to unseat Smash Bros. anytime soon. It's so big at this point. But there are genuinely fun, really interesting um, alternatives in that space that have some of their own ideas and uh, a lot of their own charm that I, I think are definitely worth taking a look at. And Rivals of Ether is one of the best that I've played. That's cool. I am just it's interesting you mentioned this about Game Pass Ultimate and everything because I I'm subscribed to Game Pass and I have been probably since really since Sea of Thieves came out Um, and I had I've kind of had little bursts of playing the Xbox One but I have not checked out Game Pass or the Xbox One in like really at all this year. So, um, it's, it's just, it's really good to hear that it's still growing and that they're kind of leaning into it more heavily because I definitely, when it started, like it was cool. And, you know, there were a few games on there that I really wanted to play. Um, but a lot of the content on there originally was stuff I was not all that interested in or, they happen to be games that I already had on like PS4. Right. Um, but the fact that they're adding more to it, especially third party stuff, sounds like I need to check it out again. 
they've they've made an effort to clarify that they're going to um, add pretty much every first party Xbox title to Game Pass as soon as it comes out from here on out. Um, yeah, which is which is amazing because of how many new studios are going to be first bu- first party Xbox studios. So when when Psychonauts two comes out, I'm gonna bet that you're, you'll see it there from Double Fine. Um, if there's another rare game, it'll it'll be there. If there's an Obsidian, Outer Worlds will be there. Um, yeah. Obsidian, anything from Ninja Theory, anything from Playground, three four three Halo Infinite for uh, that's the next Xbox. But I'm sure they'll carry this service forward. It, it's such a such a ray of sunshine in in an otherwise kind of dark generation for Xbox. Um, mm. I, I'm just thinking about, like, the Xbox 4 comes out, right? And we know that Halo Infinite is going to be a launch title. But considering how much effort Xbox has put into making original Xbox and Xbox 360 games backward compatible uh, on the Xbox One, I, I have to imagine that pretty much everything currently player, playable on Xbox One will also be able to be played on the fourth Xbox. Yeah. Uh, I would really not imagine that they would go back on that backward compatibility. Or it, it at the very least, um, they would set it up so more and more backward compatibility can happen later as time goes on with uh, the, as Scarlet becomes older and older. But if they yeah. launch a skew of the fourth Xbox where the pack-in game is not a game, but is instead, like, three to six months of Game Pass Ultimate, think of how many games you'll get for free. As And all you need to buy is just the console. You'll get Halo Infinite. As it comes out, you don't need to buy that. It'll just be in Game Pass. Yeah, uh, yeah. You'll get everything that happened for Xbox One, pretty much everything that happened for Xbox One, uh, and a lot of stuff that happened for the original Xbox and 360, all it, like it's all at your disposal immediately. Uh, that that makes the Xbox, uh, the the fourth Xbox, just an incredibly sexy, attractive box to me. That's that's gonna make it an insanely powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even um, and you know, I know it sounds simple, but it, like. Even playing some of those much older original Xbox games on a machine that, you know, has an HDMI output, you know, that's connecting to an HD TV, like the fact that you can have all of these things on the one piece of hardware and you don't need to kind of have multiple Xboxes lined up and worry about all of that. I just see that as hugely valuable. Like I've I've still got a I've got an original Xbox and a 360 and um, I'm thinking about, and and maybe this is something I do when I upgrade to Scarlet because I've also got an Xbox One, just basically getting rid of all of that hardware and just having the one box with everything on it. Um, yeah, for I, as, for yeah. everything else, for, for, for PlayStation or for Nintendo, I would never do that. But yeah, for, for Xbox, they're, they're making some good arguments for doing that. Uh, the only thing is that the original Xbox and 360 libraries are not entirely backward compatible. It's like most of the bigger titles are, but yeah. still, 
I, I, I know one of the higher demand ones that didn't work out, uh, and they confirmed they were done with backward compatibility at E3 this year, um, was Sonic and Sega All-Star Racing transformed like those games. Um, those Sonic games by Sumo Digital for the 360 were really well liked and uh, they were not ever uh, up for contention for for backward compatibility for whatever reason. So that kind of stuff is still only playable on 360, but that's an exception that makes the rule, really. Almost everything yeah. else that is big enough uh, to be known like that is playable on the Xbox yeah. One currently. And that's just the Xbox One. The Xbox One X even has enhanced versions. So, so like, Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts is an Xbox 360 game. And then you can play it with a little bit more power and less frame rate issues on the Xbox One. But then it was also X-enhanced. So you can play it in 4K, a game that came out in 2008 for the 360. Mm -hmm. You can play it in 4K with, like, no frame rate issues on the xbox one x it's almost like it got an automatic remaster yeah um, there there's there's some cool stuff happening on the xbox brand that i i think is maybe being under thought about in the industry right now um mm -hmm. I, i'm seeing a lot of websites and journalists out there kind of assuming that we'll see a repeat of what happened this generation next generation with uh, things like the PS4 being the dominant thing. The, the P they're assuming the PS5 will similarly be dominant and the Xbox will exist. Probably not doing so poorly that it will like tank Microsoft or anything, but that it will maybe just not compete and Nintendo will do their own thing. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think, I think Xbox is going to come back next generation. I'm continually impressed with microsoft and continually unimpressed with sony and uh i, I think it's kind of it's, it's just lining itself up yeah and i mean you know if history's taught us anything it's that every generation is is pretty unpredictable really the way it shakes out i mean and microsoft has definitely had the experience of being at the top of the pile uh, before like they know you know they know what it is to be kind of a leader in the console space um, so they're definitely capable of it and the fact that they're really putting the focus I think in the right area in terms of you know their uh, studio acquisitions focusing on exclusive content um, even the backwards compatibility stuff like they're doing a lot of things that are really pro gamer and pro gaming in a way that um you know ultimately has surely got to be positive for them like the less they focus on making scarlet some sort of generic set top box for all kinds of content and more this really really excellent cutting edge gaming machine um you know surely that's the direction they have to go if they're going to kind of seize that market share um I mean, it'll it'll be interesting because it's going to be, I think the next few years, we'll see a very different world unfold, um, you know, with all of the cross-platform stuff, the streaming stuff, who knows what Nintendo is going to do with Switch over the next few years in terms of hardware. Who knows what Microsoft um, is going to do with Switch? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, any anyone who thinks that they can safely predict 
how it's all going to pan out is is kidding themselves and everybody else i think um it's it's just you know from my point of view it's just a pretty exciting time there's a lot of cool stuff happening so uh one one other game and i think this will close out the uh playtime report here that i was playing with with game pass was outer wilds um yes james you hear about this one <laughs> oh man i've been i've been i've watched a couple of reviews i've i've now listened to a good three or four different podcasts that have raved about <laughs> this game i'm and i'm actually like i literally within the last week or so dusted my xbox one off like it was in storage <laughs> i've taken it out of storage i haven't switched it on yet but i've taken it out of storage <laughs> it's, it's I'm a long process there, i know <laughs> it's a long process yeah yeah um <laughs> but like my whole reason at the moment like aside from the the game pass stuff we just talked about my whole reason for kind of wanting to fire this up again is outer wilds yeah it's um I did a pretty good job of really not knowing that much about Outer Wilds, except for a lot of the people whose tastes often align with mine liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, and when something like that happens and I kind of get the feeling that there is a possibility of being spoiled, um, I I end up just deciding, like, am I going to play this or not? And this one um, being for free on the Xbox Game Pass, uh, easy, easy easy decision to just like okay let's play it um and also in the interest of not spreading spoilers i won't so don't worry about that um mm -hmm. at least in this episode maybe later we can do a deeper dive but it's a really neat game i think it's a great example of how certain degrees of polish on the original xbox one i don't have the x but on the original xbox one you have a lot of frame rate issues with this game. A lot of times where like, um, it, you, you'll just be inside of a 3D model looking outward and it, it'll look weird all the time. Stuff's clipping all the time. Um, mm. it's, it's a great example of when your gameplay core is just so strong that it's, that's never gonna matter. I'm not yeah. having a bad time with this game at all, even when all that stuff happens, even with when the frame rate goes down to, like, 10. Um, it's so interesting, and it's so exciting. All the, all, like, every time I've played it, um, I, I just learned something more about the game. You play as a Harthian, which is a kind of alien with four eyes, and you grow up on this little planet, and, and all of a sudden it's time to take off. It, it's time for you to explore the solar system around you. Um, stuff is like miles away in this solar system instead of thousands of miles away. Uh, so, you know, you can kind of just like, it, oh, it's a hundred, uh, like uh, maybe, maybe it's one kilometer from the planet to the moon. The <laughs> planets are so small and, and everything's yeah. so, so condensed. Uh, and, and, and you're you're looking around, you're you're finding information about your people and and maybe a conspiracy that happened, like an ancient race that existed once. And then, and, and this is like a slightly spoilery thing, but really this is the point of the game, so I'm gonna have to go into it. Uh, the sun explodes, mm. and you do die 
and then you start over. And you start over, the only thing you're bringing between iterations uh, of, of going out, exploring, watching the sun explode, and doing it again is knowledge. That's it. And there's an in-game way to track like what you know, but for the most part, you don't even need that because it could all just be in your head. Uh, there are no major expansions to like your jetpack or a gun or anything. There is no gun. Uh, there, there's no like additional add-on you can add to your ship. You're all. You're, the only thing you're trying to do in this game is just go around this solar system, treat it like a ruin, like an archaeological ruin, and just solve problems. And and not not even solve problems, just solve mysteries. Try try to find information wherever you look for it. It turns um, what would normally be like, go here and get this artifact, and then you plug the artifact into the wall and it opens up. It, like that kind of thing that you might play in like a Tomb Raider game. Um, it's still, that loop is still here, but all of what you achieve and all of what you learn is just mental. It's all in your head, um, mm. which which I think is so cool. And and then you just go again. I'm I'm a, I'm a number of loops into the game. I'm, I don't feel like I'm close to cracking the game open and solving it uh, i've heard that it's it's taken some people around like 12 to 15 hours to to finish the game uh and i assume what finishing the game means and i'm not even really sure so i don't think this is a spoiler because i don't know but i'm assuming yeah. that finishing the game means find some way to end the time loop or to stop the sun from exploding something like that yeah um, and and I I do love it. I, I I really love it. It's just completely unmitigated exploration. Um uh, just a just a fantastic time. You can't play it if you're just looking to pass some time because you, you need to be aware and and cognizant of your surroundings and what you're doing pretty much a hundred percent of the time you're playing Outer Wilds. Uh so I've I've actually gotten into some positions uh, over the last couple of days where I'm not doing anything and I'm just lying around and I'm thinking, oh, I didn't know what I should do. I should play Outer Wilds. And then I realized, <laughs> no, I probably shouldn't play Outer Wilds right now because I don't feel, like, focused enough. I don't feel attentive. I would just yeah. waste time. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's not one of those kind of experiences where you can just mindly, uh, mindlessly waste some time. Yeah, if, if there's any complaint I have about the game, I think it's maybe, uh, other than some technical issues that I went over already, I think it's maybe that the game is designed to be played in about 20, 22, se uh, 22 minutes is how long it takes from when you wake up at the start of a cycle to when the sun explodes. Uh, so it's designed to be played in these little pockets of time, but yeah. it's also not designed to be played in those little pockets of time because what you want is like, to sit down for a few hours and say, okay, let's, it's time to really think this out. It's time to solve this puzzle. Um, and uh, maybe those things conflict a little bit in, in terms of design goals, but still, uh, still, I, I highly recommend it. Very, very great game. A lot of good games on this week's Playtime Report. Yeah, definitely. Uh, long Playtime Report, too. So let's head into the Newsy Nibble. So, James, we talked about how we uh, already talked about E3 and most of what happened, but mm -hmm. I didn't get your impressions on, on the announcements and everything that happened. So I, I'd love to hear what you thought of the show. Well, 
to be honest, I'm still, and, and this is so remiss as a, as a game online gaming magazine editor, but I'm, I'm still digging my way through a lot of the, a lot of the news. Um, I, this year, one of the things I did a bit differently was I didn't watch all of the press conferences all the way through. Um, mostly just because of time. I just didn't really have the time to do that. Some of them, it's a good year to choose to do that. Yeah. yeah, Some of them were so long and I was really more interested in, in actually just understanding, you know, uh, what the announcements were, what was being shown. Um, yeah, I have very little patience these days for, um, like if Bethesda wants to say, Here's 30 minutes of straight Doom Eternal gameplay. Like, I don't care. I I can't... I'll play that, and I'm excited for that game, but I, I don't want to watch 30 minutes of a playthrough in your press conference. Yeah, and I don't know. I feel like the press conferences themselves are sort of... You know, they're very different when... As you know, they're very different when you are there uh, in person. Um, sure. It's it's easier, well, it's somewhat easier to sit through reel after reel of trailer in, in person when you've got a crowd around you, you know, when developers come up on stage and talk about what they're working on. But I think to to stream it or to watch it online, it's like, it's a little bit, I find it a little bit um, tedious. Um, so one of the things that was sort of... Um, interesting this year for me was there are some specific games that I'm very interested in. Um, and I guess I would separate my E3, um, overview in terms of there's like all the Nintendo stuff on one side and then everyone else on the other (laughs) side, (laughs) which, you know, that's just my bias coming through, I guess. I think it probably is your bias, but also um, they just had a good year (laughs) and the other guys kind of didn't. Yeah, and I just, I like the, the thing I like about what Nintendo does, aside from the actual content, is I really think that they've kind of now nailed the way that they deal with E3. So I like the fact that you know, you have the Nintendo Direct and it's, it's, um, somehow feels a bit less tedious than the huge press conferences, partly because it's a lot shorter as well, I guess. It's kind of more to the point. They just go title by title by title and they just get through it. Um, and, and, you know, they have some very creative ways of, of revealing things, um, as they did with Banjo Kazooie and Smash, I thought that was really well done. Hell yeah! Um, Hell yeah, James! <laughs> Hell yeah! That was just that was so cool. <laughs> um, it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then I I really love the Treehouse Live stuff. That's my favorite part of E three. Like, and really? I I watch some of it live, but I I actually go back and watch a lot of it later on. Um. And I really love it because it, it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like this big slick marketing thing. Um, I'm not seeing stuff that's all CG. The fact that they sit down with a developer and they just kind of walk through the experience and give an impression of the experience um, is, is really, really cool. Um, so 
I guess for me, there were a few key games that I'm very interested in. Like in terms of the non-Nintendo stuff, I'm talking um, really interested in Watch Dogs Legion. Yeah, that was a surprise. Um, I didn't think I'd be interested in a Watch Dogs game, but it, it really impressed me. Yeah, and I apparently the original, the first game was not all that great, but Watch Dogs 2 was very good. I really liked Watch Dogs 2. So seeing what they're attempting to do with Legion uh, and how ambitious it is, and even the setting and everything just really, really fascinates me. Uh, So that's probably pretty close to the top of E3 for me is that one. Um, And then Elden Ring, uh, which we... Yeah. Don't really know much about at this point. Like the trailer was very sort of high level, just showing us a little bit of the art design, I guess, more than anything. But, um, you know, I, th- I think um, that that kind of collaboration um, of Miyazaki and, and George R.R. R. Martin, like it's a very interesting idea. Um, Definitely. So I'm keen to see what happens there. And then kind of randomly, I was not expecting to see the announcement for Fantasy Star Online 2. Um, I've never played Fantasy Star Online, but I know that it's one of these online RPGs that has a pretty serious pedigree. Uh, and to see a new release, and I think it's it's exclusive to Xbox and PC. I don't think it's coming out on any other platform. I believe that's correct. Although it, it it's not a new release. It's it's uh this has been one of the holy grails in localization along with like yes. Mother 3 uh for years yeah. now. And and to see um uh, very patient fans in the West finally get this was <laughs> It was one of the things that it, it was a huge deal, and then I went home from from E three and I I forgot about it for weeks, and I I wish yeah. it stuck in my mind more because it deserves yeah, yeah. to. Yeah, and it's and it's so. I mean, you know, as, as you say, like for these kind of games, especially for these big Japanese RPGs, it's sort of it's so rare to see these games eventually brought to the West uh, in this way. So I'm pretty interested in that one. Um, and then Panzer Dragoon remake that I nearly fell out of my chair with that one. So I know um, a lot of, um, I know a lot of Sega kids that are going crazy over this and I don't have a reference point. Oh, Panzer Dragoon is so good. <laughs> is it? It, it seems fun. It <laughs> it's seems so cool. good. It's so awesome. It's like, um, the second one, the sequel is, is I think quite a bit better than the original, but these games, uh, like I played them when they were new on the Saturn, and they were among the top. These these games were like key reasons to own a, a Sega Saturn, I think. Um, and I still actually, um, like last year, I um, hooked up my Saturn again and played Panzer Dragoon. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's much harder to play now. Like there's just no... Especially satin games just do not look great on an HD television. It's very hard to get a good picture. Um, so, but the gameplay is still really, really excellent. So, I was thoroughly impressed to see like this full remake on Switch. I'm really, really excited about that. Cool, cool, cool. Um, and then, and then the Nintendo stuff. Like, sure. I mean, what can I say? 
Uh, Luigi's Mansion 3 looks amazing. You you wrote a really cool um, impressions piece that's up on Super Jump Magazine, uh, which was a real pleasure to read. And, I mean, it, it sounds awesome. It looks awesome. Just editor um, note. That was a really mm-hmm. difficult one to write because <laughs> I, I, I wrote it and then I, like, glanced over it. I usually let you do, like real proofreading on it because i'm i'm kind of bad with that but i i do glance over it before i send them to you and i realized that i wrote slams the ghost to the ground in four separate instances uh those exact (laughs) words and i had to think like okay what's a synonym for slam what's a synonym for ground i guess i even need a synonym for ghost with how much that's popping up just a just a, a a real game where it, it's it's good, but the things you're doing are you're gonna do it a lot, so it's difficult to yeah. talk about for an extended period of time or for an extended yeah. length of an article. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, no, but that that looks really awesome. It's shaping up pretty well, I think. Um, and obviously, Link's Awakening's coming out very soon which I'm really looking forward to and breath of the wild too. I mean, I, I was one of the people who, um, there was a lot of speculation around this. I had a really strong feeling that we were going to see this announcement. Um, and even as I was watching the direct and it was getting toward the end, I remember thinking, I know you're going to tell us there's one more thing. I know you are. You're getting there. I, I felt that, but then I th- I thought at first the one more thing was like, oh, no more Heroes 3. I guess that's pretty big. And yeah, then, yeah. I like, it's it's not something that I love so much, but yeah, yeah, definitely worth it. Okay, that's your one big thing. And then they said, okay, we got one more thing. And then it was Banjo and Smash, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's the one more thing. That's a great one more thing to end it on. <laughs> and then they were like, no, I actually got another thing. <laughs> <laughs> then I, I I just assumed it was gonna just keep going forever. But uh, Breath of the Wild two <laughs> is a logical peak. Um, makes sense that you don't <laughs> put anything after that. Uh, yeah, it looks great. It it looks it's I'm so excited about uh the direction, even from what little we've seen about the the way they're intending Breath of the Wild two to be, just mm. uh. I've complained in the past that the Zelda series, um, not not that it, it's important to keep a timeline so much, but sometimes its own lore is bordering on disrespected sometimes. I think that's a really harsh word for what it is. But uh, sometimes like that, to, to just see a straight up sequel, and not even the way Majora's Mask is a sequel, where it's the same link, but like it's a completely different place and a different story altogether. This is a straight-up yeah. continuation of that story. I think the only time they've ever done that is Phantom Hourglass, and this is going to be such a better game than Phantom Hourglass. I, I'm i so excited. Yeah, me too. And I really like the idea, like... And, and we've said, you know, many times on this show that Breath of the Wild's one of those games you can finish it and you can still... Like, that world is so compelling and so much fun to just run around in that you can easily just go back, you know, months and months, years later, um, 
and you know play an hour or so in in that world and still have a lot of fun um so i like the idea that the sequel is sort of taking us back there in this different context um i'm really keen to see like what they change and what they build on with this one um and i'm hoping that because we're returning to that same world and you know we're using the same engine and all that stuff like in some ways presumably a lot of the heavy lifting's been done in building the original game so i'm hoping that you know uh it it's not going to take them as long to build the sequel which hopefully means uh even if we don't see a, a retail release next year hopefully we see this at, at e3 next year um i and, and i am assuming this is their holiday 2020 game that'd be cool i yeah, would i would love that cool. i understand if it would take longer because maybe i mean just when has zelda been that quick but it's not quick in the grand scheme of things. It's still a year and a half away from the announcement. Um, yeah, that's true. But they're and going the Majora's Mask approach. They're it. using the old assets and they're using the old... Uh, yeah. Even this time, they're using the old Hyrule. It's going to be the same yeah. location. So it theoretically... Game development's always hard, but theoretically, if it shouldn't take as long. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very hopeful. Um so yeah, I mean, you know, that was my that that's kind of my overall takeaway. Um I I definitely think next year is is probably going to be a crazy E3 with, you know, the new Xbox, presumably the PlayStation 5 as well, you know, um and then all the all the cool stuff Nintendo's probably going to do. So uh I heard and I can't remember if you'd said this to me or not. I'd heard that this year at E3, it was actually a bit quieter on the show floor itself. Um, I might have said that. Yeah, it, it was. It was especially. Are you referring to just Nintendo or or everyone? Just in general, yeah. Like I'd heard that the actual convention center was not as crazy as the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I, I would say that's true. There's definitely things that. Uh, had really long lines man i waited in a long time for uh in a, in a line for avengers that did not yeah. advertise that it wasn't um a, a play experience it was a watching experience so when oh, i got God. to the end of that line just <laughs> like i i watched a 30 minute demo of someone else play avengers um th that was boring but <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but i mean that that always happens for the most part Sony wasn't there. Microsoft was moved out of the um out out of the main hall, so they were in their other place and and that freed space up. EA did that too like they usually do and they they were like an annoying distance from hall. Have um you, you were at E3 2017. Did you go to the EA booth? No, no, I didn't. They set it up in like a building maybe two streets away just mm. like not a distance you would drive necessarily not a distance you would walk necessarily so annoying anyway <laughs> that's neither here nor there but um j just just a lot of a lot of things were lighter um square enix had a couple of big titles and i think they in in terms of non-console producers were maybe the winner of the c3 uh 
Final Fantasy VII Remake got a lot of people very excited, and that was actually playable, which was a surprise mm. to me. I didn't yeah. think it would be. And, and Watch Dogs Legion was big. But if you look at Nintendo, they usually have like a showstopper, something that takes everyone's attention. And Luigi's Mansion was very well-liked, and Pokemon Sword and Shield is like a big question mark for a lot of people right now. Uh, but like, what what else is gonna... That That's not up that level. Link's Awakening is a remake of a Game Boy game. That's not that level. Uh, y- you know, like Sega's big game. Sega's big, big game this year, the biggest um, booth space they had was for Mario and Sonic at the Olympics. And that's not an mm. E3 game, man. That's not yeah. <laughs> That's not an E3 game yeah. at all. So it it was yeah. just like you you you're saying Watch Dogs was your your game of the show. It was really like the game of the show plus Final Fantasy 7 and a couple of small Nintendo and Microsoft things uh here and there. Cuz even uh, of that Microsoft booth uh, Gears of War was kind of playable, uh, and yeah. and that was kind of it from them too. They they didn't have Halo Infinite was not there like they're they they didn't have a big oh I guess Bleeding Edge from from Ninja Theory was kind of their other big thing that was big enough. Um, yeah, that looks interesting too. Yeah, but 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 and there's yeah, a lot of stuff like. Not to say that it goes under the radar, but I think because you get these big AAA games that kind of suck up all the oxygen, there's so much stuff going on that's really interesting. Like, on the one hand, you've got Hollow Knight Silk Song, which yeah, that was um, a hot I'm movie. really excited about. Yeah, um, and I was really happy to see that covered. Um, extensively in the Nintendo Treehouse Live as well. I like the fact that they bring in third-party and indie stuff and really focus on it there. Um, But also, and, you know, yet another plug for the magazine, but it's a really well-deserved one. Um, You wrote a a piece about your experience at Indiecade, and I I always... I think you'd written uh, something about Indiecade when you went last year as well. And I always look forward to those articles because aside from anything else, like some of those games I know about beforehand, but there's just this like crazy left field stuff that comes out of nowhere. Like um, there's that quote unquote game Pixel Maze that you talked about by um, Pirate (laughs) Games. Man, I want one of those. That that just looks so cool. I love (laughs) that. It's so cool. Like... It's so clever. Um, and what was the other one? Hot Swap. Hot Swap which... is also really cool. I, I hope they... I asked the guy making Hot Swap if they were interested in mass production and, and sales. And uh, he said, you know, we're not really thinking about that right now. We've got these pieces were individually uh, 3D printed. Uh, I, I hope they go for it. Mm. It's such a cool idea. Uh, maybe maybe it, they could uh, so... intern for Nintendo and do some sort of Labo extension with hot swap yeah yeah like it's just so clever and even when you you know even talking about it or reading about it um you actually have to see the the images and the video in the article to really understand how incredible it looks and how clever it looks um so i'm really glad that we were able to you know there's always more stuff that we can get to and 
and um, you know, we 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 had you there, and we uh, you covered a hell of a lot, and we didn't have a giant team of people there, so there's only so much you can actually physically see. But I feel like um, there's always a lot of really interesting, cool stuff happening at E3 that's that just doesn't kind of get the limelight every year. It's it they just can't compete for the same attention. Um, and so that's one that I really, I really recommend people check out that Indicate article that you did because there's a lot of really cool stuff in there. Yeah, that's that's one of the um, results of us not really trying to compete with the IGNs and Polygons and, and GameSpots of the world. Um, mm. If we were, I, I'd have to be like, I'd have to spend a lot of time trying to either get. Um, invitations for appointments or or just standing in line for all of watchdogs and final fantasy and avengers and, and all of that and i did do some of that that's part of the experience you do you go to e3 to at least stand in a couple lines um but you know that like what what i would write about that is probably going to be similar to everything else like i don't know if i'm going to be the guy who has the take on watchdogs legion but I might be the guy that has the take on Pixel Cube, you know. Um, yeah. I I might be the guy that has even even much bigger scale than that, like Battletoads. Um, I I did one of those on on that as well. Um, and, and I I like the idea of us getting a, a bigger group of people going down to E3, uh, just for the reason that, um, we can at least feel more complete in our E3 coverage. But until then, mm. I, I'm I'm definitely happy to spend uh, as much time as in, at Indicate and, and places like Indicate as possible. Lately, Nintendo yeah. has actually done a pretty good job of of courting some independent developers and putting them in their booth uh, and, and mm. uh, triumphing them as as Nindies and uh, other third parties. Like Hollow Knight Silk Song was easily the fourth biggest Nintendo property, and I, I say fourth biggest because like. Link's Awakening, Pokemon, and, and Luigi were definitely the biggest, but every mm. Nintendo had like ten other games, uh, and Silk Song had this huge line, and I don't think they anticipated that it would be that popular because it was <laughs> in between New Super Lucky's Tale and a port of Resident Evil Five, uh, and those <laughs> games weren't getting that many people in line, but Silk Song like that was a line that went around the whole the whole booth. Um, which which was great for me to see as a Hollow Knight fan. I'm glad that that game's getting recognition. But I I I, I just like seeing some of those smaller titles, uh, games that that might not even usually have E3 in their marketing plans, um, uh, really be championed in that way. Like I knew some of the stuff that I was gonna be seeing at uh Indicate before I got there. I had an appointment specifically to see uh Dicey Dungeons, which I, I kind of zeroed in on because I knew it was in part by Terry Kavanaugh and I like his previous stuff. Like he did VVVVVV and, and other games uh, that, that I like. So seeing uh, a title of his was something I was excited about. But then once I was there, it was just a thousand things. I had no idea even existed. Uh, so that, that was all exciting and fun. Um, if you were to say your one biggest excitement your one biggest, most exciting announcement for the show, all things together, Nintendo and uh, other guys all, all bounce together. What's your biggest takeaway? Oh, Breath of the Wild 2. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pred predictably enough, yeah. 
Breath of the Wild 2. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wish I could say it, but it's Banjo and Smash. <laughs> it's it's definitely Banjo <laughs> and Smash for me. Uh, oh, and a big part of my excitement was like vicariously like you know, I was excited about the reveal myself, but I was as I was watching it, I was thinking about you and your excitement, and that made me more excited. I'm like, yeah, Mitchell's going to love this. This is so cool. <laughs> I, I, you're right. I did. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I should have known that you were interested in Panzer Dragoon, so I, I could have had some of that uh, going your way as well. Um, <laughs> but we have we have some other, a little less fun <laughs> stuff to talk about in this uh, Newsy Nibble, and both of these things, I don't think we'll talk about that long, so so let's just get into them. EA's surprise mechanics. Uh, the story going around is incorrect. The story that you've probably heard in headlines or, or, or just like people talking kind of haphazardly about it on forums or whatever or tweets is that EA is rebranding their loot boxes. That's not true. Um, that's mm. not exactly what it is. Um but what it the what the actual thing is is still done. So <laughs> let's let's talk it through. Um, they were at some sort of summit for uh, ethics and video games uh, in the UK, and one of the one of the inquisitors. I don't know what their actual title is, but I'll say inquisitors. <laughs> uh, asked, oh, I think they. I think they were at a. They were at Parliament, weren't they? Were Were they Parliament members that were asking them? specifically or were they like lower judge i couldn't i couldn't tell i thought it was a i I thought it was a not a judicial thing i thought it was a parliamentary okay inquiry you know that actually makes a lot of sense i bet you're right um but they they asked them do you consider loot boxes to be a legal and ethical feature of your games uh and that is that is an incredibly difficult question to uh answer if the answer is no (laughs) which is true <laughs> yeah. um although it's 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 a it's a gray no legal probably yes ethical probably no um mm. but harry Kerry hopkins the vice president uh at ea of legal and government affairs so i guess perfect person for this uh specific job she says well we don't call them loot boxes we look at them as surprise mechanics um then she goes on to compare them to kinder eggs that uh she asks do you guys have a target do you know what target is which i thought was hilarious that she asked like that um because yeah uh (laughs) that's such an american thing like do you guys have mcdonald's do you know mcdonald's um (laughs) they have they have hamburgers i don't know they're pretty good (laughs) she says do you know target they have these uh kinder eggs Kids break them open for surprise toys. Uh, We liken our loot boxes or surprise mechanics to those things. People enjoy surprises. Uh, Not all of that is verbatim word for word, but that is the gist of what was said. I couldn't find... I watched it, but I couldn't find a complete like written translation or or, uh, transcription, rather. And I was not about to do that for this dumb thing to say. Uh, So the question, (laughs) James, is is that a good defense? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well on the first point about everybody likes surprises right 
Well, not always. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you can you can be walking in the woods and get stuck in a bear trap. Like, that's a surprise. Uh, not a great one. Um, so these Kinder Eggs are very popular in Australia. Um, like, everybody here knows what they are, and we've had them definitely since I was a kid. Like, we've had them forever. Um, and I know a lot of people have said this already, but it's a bad analogy because... <laughs> The whole point with the Kinder Egg is that the toy is the bonus, it is kind of the bonus thing. Like Mm -hmm. the point of it is that you're eating the chocolate. That's, you know, like the toy is like this little surprise bonus thing, but the chocolate's the main gig, I think, for most kids. Now, what what I think is great with this comparison is that they've (laughs) zeroed in on... (laughs) A, a candy toy product that is not legal in america yes uh, i read that <laughs> kinder eggs don't exist here they uh yeah because they're edible and have plastic in them they were deemed by um what whatever agency rules over that kind of thing to be choking hazards. you don't like fun that's the problem we don't like fun and also if you're gonna eat a candy sometimes we don't want plastic in it uh <laughs> Now, we did have, when I was a kid, uh, and it might still be going on, but I haven't seen them in a while, our, uh, our Wonder Balls, which was a, mm. basically, like, imagine a fist-sized sphere of very thin chocolate, where it, it couldn't be interpreted that you would just put the whole thing in your mouth, right? Um, yeah. But similar to a, similar to a Kinder Egg. Um, I guess the question there is... Are those okay? Are those also manipulative things to get children interested in, you know, spending money on the random chance that they could get something interesting? Like, just likening them to Kinder Eggs does not make me 100% okay with them because I'm not 100% okay with what Kinder Eggs are doing, necessarily. Look, it's a... It's a tricky one i guess like it's sort of um on the surface it's not a great analogy i mean they're two <laughs> yeah things you know <laughs> like let's just say that right off the bat um but the other thing i think with with loot boxes in particular is that that one of the huge issues with loot boxes is that you know presumably you have at least in a lot of cases there'll be you know, a, a PSN or an Xbox One, an Xbox Live account or whatever. And, you know, the parent's um, credit card informa- information might be saved on that account. Right. And in the context of playing a video game where all you really have to do is press a button, to, you know, over and over again to just keep buying more and more and more of these things... And it and there's no friction there, you know. It's this very frictionless experience, so it's easy in theory to just go crazy and buy a ton of these things and waste a ton of money. Um, that the, the way that that works and the seamlessness of that and the way that loot boxes are, it's not even the loot boxes themselves. It's the way they're integrated in the game, such that. They're constantly pushed at you. You know, they're constantly promoted. They're always there. Um, There's this kind of constant upsell pressure through the game. 
um, that's very, very different. Like that's, that's a scenario where, you know, a kid is playing a game and they're effectively continuously being advertised to, uh, to spend money on this thing. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty obvious why it's a, why it's a problematic thing. Um, I, I don't quite know what EA is going to do here because it seems to me that they, regardless of whether or not they legitimately think these things are surprise mechanics or whatever, even if they think that they're ethical, um, there's so much backlash to this. And there's now, there are various territories in the world that are taking legislative action or regulatory action to ban these things. Like, I don't know exactly where it's gotten up to, but I know that the parliament, the federal parliament in Australia is now taking up this issue and is, is if they haven't already, they're seriously considering taking some sort of legislative action around this mechanic. Um, so it, it, you know, like if I were EA, I would be seeing the writing on the wall. I already have a pretty bad reputation as a, as a company, I would be getting out ahead of this and saying, look, you know, we need, we clearly need to go in a different direction. Like, you know, we might get some short term monetary gains from this, but we're suffering increasing reputational damage and the increasing reality of coming up against legal problems in different territories. Um, This is obviously, this is not a sustainable model. Like it seems to me, it's a question of when, not if, collapses or has to change fundamentally i i wonder if like from a legitimate place people like carrie hopkins and other people that worked on on developing these systems at ea are are genuinely wondering like yeah but why us and not kinder eggs Or, or why us and not um like magic the gathering and pokemon cards have been doing this for years uh you just get a, a blind pack of cards and it could be anything and you, you are kind of gambling in the same way that you're trying to get a specific pokemon card you're trying to get a specific skin in our game why is our thing what's starting the the legislation um i i, I yeah. could see some sort of genuine confusion from me on, on that line but like there's genuine confusion, but then once you're like told by people, no, 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 we really hate it, and then you double down. I, I can't like use that excuse for you anymore. I uh, there's yeah. only so much uh, goodwill you can have automatically. You need to achieve the rest of the goodwill that you want, uh, and they haven't. Yeah, that's right. That that's right. And I think you know, as you know, like I'm a I'm a big fan of nuance and. Even something like loot, like loot boxes, like the concept of it, there are different implementations. There are different ways that this mechanic is being used, and they're definitely not all the same. Like there are some really egregious examples, and then there are some examples that are pretty harmless. Um, yeah. In and, most battle royale maybe... games, and most things like that, uh, I think. This is the case. No, actually, I no. I was gonna say it's the case in Battlefront, but it's not. Most of what you get out of a loot box is randomized, um, mm-hmm. and, and the randomization of those things like goes up and down. Like maybe it's more likely to get pink Darth Vader on a certain day, uh, or 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 not. But 
a lot of it isn't and a lot of it is just like you could earn this through regular gameplay progression or just spend five dollars now when you get darth vader or a lot of it's like fifa where it's just like straight up gameplay mechanic influencing stuff you get yes in card packs that seems really dangerous um and I mean, I, I guess I don't know why I think that's different from Magic the Gathering, Gathering or Pokemon trading cards. Uh, I, I guess it's the same thing, and I've bought a lot of Pokemon trading cards in my day. Um, mm. But maybe that was never fine. Maybe that wasn't okay, and uh, it was never good to do, especially if you're marketing toward children, and especially if you're making it so easy. I guess on a digital storefront, you're right. With it being so easy to just push a button compared to anything on a store where like if you go to a store there's a guy at the counter that'll just be like if you buy a hundred packs of pokemon cards he'll at least look at you funny he'll at least like (laughs) say hey wait hey maybe don't (laughs) that's crazy yeah and and there's an opportunity you you know in that case there's an opportunity usually for parents to intervene whereas i think with with games maybe not quite so much and also like you can buy your Pokemon cards and you can go away and play with them and everything. But when you're, when you're in at least some of these games, even if you're not paying for the loot boxes, you know, there are um, like notific there are in-game notifications and there are loading screens and there are all of these different ways that you are constantly being pressured into making that purchase. And I think, for an adult, it's probably not such a big deal uh, in general because you're 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 in a different situation. You know, you're for starters, you're spending your own money, but also, um, you know, hopefully you you've got a bit more um, willpower around those things. Although obviously some people don't, but with with children, especially with young children, I mean these things aren't kind of gated with parental controls as far as I understand where other content might be. So, you know, it's not even like you can have a child playing Fortnite or playing something else with loot boxes. And because they're a younger player, there are certain things that they're not being exposed to because of a parental control. Like even that sort of thing hasn't really been taken into account with these games. Um, right. So, you know, it's, I think when you, I think when you get into the detail and kind of look at it from that perspective, it, it can be a pretty insidious thing. Um, well, there's this, there's this fear that if we let our governments legislate on games, the games industry sloughs off this inborn protection that they've had since the mid nineties where everyone was all upset about Mortal Kombat and how how much gratuitous violence Mortal Kombat had to 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 fair amounts like that game is wild <laughs> but uh we invented the ESRB in America for that and uh all of the other territories that regularly uh sell video games they have comparable rating systems and that was a way of convincing, at least in America, the American government to kind of back off a little bit. 
you don't need to rate our games. You don't need to censor uh, like violence or sex in our games. We'll do it for ourselves, and we'll at least prove that we can do that so far. Uh, there, there is there is an argument that like that's really healthy for the games industry to not be uh, overlooked by government agencies that probably don't have the best interest for the art form that is video games in their in their hearts. Uh, and, and they're probably just more looking at like, okay, well, does this have a problematic thing or not? Um, so we do want that. At least most people want that a little bit. Um, and if you give governments the power to legislate on microtransactions, does that impact game ratings? Does that impact other things that we can do with games? Are, are we ever going to... Um, I, I think America probably has a pretty good setup right now, which is just the First Amendment of the Constitution is pretty hard to fight against. Uh, it'll be difficult to fully censor a video game uh, by the government, at least. But other countries don't have First Amendment uh, or comparable to our First Amendment uh, freedom of speech rights and freedom of press rights. So, like, what happens then? Uh, are entire countries worth of video games censored by the government um, for reasons other than monetization. Like we, we, right now we're into it because monetization is something that I think most of us are, are worried about, but uh, censorship is, is the opposite. We want that to be less legislated. Like it, it, is there a way to have it both ways or are we kind of looking at a trade-off? Yeah. Uh, look, there might be some trade-off at some point, but I, I think, um, my attitude is uh, I, I don't really buy um, this, the kind of slippery slope argument. I think you have to look at each case as it comes. And I think this case around loot boxes is not a freedom of speech question at all. Sure. Um, but having said that, you know, the industry is always going to argue for less regulation and less government intervention. And that's true in every territory. They're always going to make that case. But I think if they... I'm not even, I wouldn't even say, um, like, I don't really have a position on where government should come in here, except to say that, like they did with the ESRB and establishing that program, I think if the industry want to avoid increased regulation and, and oversight, um, then they do need to see the writing on the wall and they need to get out in front of this in a way that, um, you know, convinces government that maybe it doesn't have to step in in the way that it otherwise might. Sure. Um, there, there's also the bit that, like, the ESRB is not perfect at all. And there's a lot of double no, standards no. where if you're an independent developer, you probably can't put something like sex in your game. Like, it just won't work. It just won't fly. Um, but if you're David Cage and you're making Detroit become human, like, yeah, you're going to have a lot of freedom to put sex mm. in your game. Like, you know there's going to be boobs all over Cyberpunk mm. 2077, and that's just <laughs> going to be rated M like everything else. Um, yeah. And, and be because it's set up by the biggest players in the industry, it really caters to the biggest players in the industry. Uh, so yeah. it's it's not a perfect system, but, you know, it, it, it works in some cases and, and helps itself out in others. And I, I guess yeah. I... I want to see something like that tried. Maybe not. Maybe I don't actually want that. I don't know. I, I, I would be worried about <laughs> the 
I would be worried about the liberties that uh, something like EA, because EA is a, is a huge stockholder in the ESA, the lobbying agency that controls things like uh, mm. putting on E3 and also the ESRB. Uh, it, it, yeah. If there's an industry manned control over mon- monitoring monetization, EA would probably just allow their own stuff still. Or at least yeah. less of it, but more than zero. Yeah, it's. I, I sort of feel like um, wherever this goes, it it just looking at what's happened, even in the last six to twelve months, um, it's pretty clear that something will change, um, and that this will all come to a head at some point soon. Uh, even if nothing happens legislatively in the US, there are so many areas in the world where, you know, these loot boxes are being classified as a gambling mechanic. And that now means, you know, for that reason, they fall under certain provisions that mean that they're banned or they're heavily regulated. So it'll get to the point, I think, where a company like EA that operates globally and a lot of their sales come from Europe and other territories around the world, um, it'll just get to the point where it, it'll just be bad business. You know, it'll that they're just going to have to change. You know, make a change um, and kind of pivot away from this. I think, even if it means that they retain some elements of it, but they make it less aggressive, or uh, I don't know what they're going to do. But um, the combination of government intervention and just public perception. Um, is is going to just be a bigger and bigger problem for them if they if they kind of keep uh, knuckling down on this and and refusing to change. So I sort of think they're going to be forced anyway, just by the market and by like the opportunity cost won't make sense for them eventually. Whenever there's a big amount of water pressure put on a dam, uh the leaks are exposed and they often get fixed Mm. by whoever's manning that dam. Uh, But also there's just a lot more pressure on it. And I wish it was the case that no matter what, when that happened, it would all, the water would always pop through, but it's not like that. You know, it, it, it just proves how susceptible and vulnerable something is until it can be made nearly invincible in some cases. And I, I see a, and I see what they've been doing with microtransactions. First from DLC. Like, remember 10 years ago we didn't like DLC? That was a thing. People were upset <laughs> about the idea that DLC could happen. And yes. the, the more DLC that came out, uh, I think we've just got used to the idea. And then microtransactions came out. And that's like even smaller than DLC. That, that can just be like, if you want to wear purple instead of brown, you can buy a purple jacket for two dollars in addition to this game that you've already paid for and then randomized microtransactions is where we're at now and each step of the way we say hey this kind of sucks and each step of the way we get acclimated uh we we eventually think you know what you can do a lot of cool stuff with dlc and patches after the games come out i'm not upset about that anymore and then micro microtransactions it can get like oh, well, as long as they don't impact gameplay. And then once they do impact gameplay, it's like, well, as long as I can just buy it and be done with it. And then once you have to like go through randomization, like that's where we are now, but maybe 
it'll just become normal and it'll be fine and i'm really afraid of that like it, it can i don't know if deep in my heart maybe i should still be mad about dlc i'm not but like maybe i should maybe <laughs> no, they got me no 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 you shouldn't and even <laughs> and even microtransactions i mean you know as i've said i might have even said it on this show like if you take the word micro out you're left with the word transaction like th- these things are um and i think loot boxes is in a different category dlc and microtransactions are really ultimately um that their value is governed by the value of the content that's being delivered and the price of the content and there are ways in both of those cases where developers and publishers can can screw consumers but there are also a lot of ways where they can actually add a lot of value and it's and it's perfectly reasonable you know to buy a game for $60 at retail and then over time you know as more content's being produced to pay for that content and consume that content um remember when the talking point I think, was um, on disc DLC specifically uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, but yeah. see, that that's actually, that's a perfect example, though, of how we can't generalize about all DLC, because, you know, when you get down to it, every implementation is different. Um, whereas I think, even though there are different implementations of loot boxes, um, I think there's, I think loot boxes are kind of categorically different to you know other kinds of transactions just from the point of view that even the worst microtransactions the very worst ones at least you know in advance what you'll be what you'll be getting you know like so even in games where microtransactions you could argue you know there are some games where basically the game might be almost unplayable or it might be sort of deliberately crippled without purchasing certain extra features and that's pretty ethically dodgy but at least you know in advance the the quality of the game you know at least you know you kind of know the score up front um whereas you know with loot boxes even in the best implementations of loot boxes you're spending money on something and you don't really know what you're getting for it. You yeah. Know, you might, in the best cases, you might know, oh, I'm going to get a high tier item or I'm going to get five items instead of three or something like that. But you, you're not necessarily just directly getting what you're paying for. Um, so I think, I think that's sort of a categorically different thing. Um, probably, I, I guess it's just, it, it makes me nervous when that seems to be the case because you can't legislate on wibbly wobbly things like that. You know, you have to be able to say like, if we're making a rule, if there's going to be some oversight to this sort of thing, because if there's not, EA mm. will just keep doing it, uh, because it's manipulative and makes money, even though it's unpopular, then we need to say what that rule is. And if we can't like draw a line in the sand i don't know i don't know what we do about that yeah and i'm not sure how they like when they say in europe that they've banned um 
they've banned loot boxes. I I don't actually know how they've defined it. I mean I mean I assume I assume all they're saying is is effectively that you can't that it that you can't um have consumers paying for something that's not transparent, you know, that right. Uh, that that can't be randomized. You need to in know what you're getting when you buy something. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it depends on if if legislation does come up in the US, it kind of depends on what it says and how it's shaped and everything. But I don't know if I don't know how close they are to doing that. Is that is is that something that's on the cards fairly soon, or is it just a bit of a um, well, Belgium it's did a discussion it. that's happening. Yeah, Belgium. What's that? Belgium did it. They 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 seem to have. Oh yeah, completely I'm done in, it in the U.S. Oh, in the U.S. Uh, no, I mean it doesn't seem like it's close. Uh, it as yeah. unpopular as EA is, they they have some of the strongest lobbying forces out of even compared to some console producers. Um, mm. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. I, I don't know what you do about it. Um, I, I think there's just a clear moral difference. If we're just talking about ethical stuff, maybe not legal yet. Yeah. If we're just talking about ethical stuff, there's an obvious moral difference between setting up a microtransaction that preys on people that like purple jackets, uh, to setting up a microtransaction system that preys on people that like gambling and could be convinced that a purple jacket is cool. Um, yes, and yes. and that's a very obvious, clear yeah. difference. Um, yeah, that is is very unrelated to previous controversies about DLC versus on disc DLC versus whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think the the biggest thing that they'd have to contend with here is that as much as we're talking about EA, this happens way more on shitty little independent mobile game companies uh this happens so much more on on a phone and oh yeah uh, we we seem to be zeroing in on when it happens in like battlefront or something but it it happens way more prevalently in casual markets and i think there's something else there that like as long as we're talking about that i'd love to tackle um paying for playtime like if you have a stamina meter in a mobile game, I think that is a yes. genuinely evil, mo- <laughs> like manipulative monetization technique oh, that is un- yes. unrelated to randomness, but is is uh, <laughs> like even Nintendo does it in in Animal Crossing and Fire Emblem uh, Heroes. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. that hurts my heart, Mitchell. I yeah. because initially initially Nintendo I think were deliberately trying to avoid that. Like with Super Mario Run. Right. They were experimenting with models that were quite different. And I really hoped that they would hope against hope that they would actually bring some quality and leadership to mobile platforms around those models. But when I look at what's happening now, especially with, with Mar- the Mario Kart trial in Japan and everything, I just it it breaks my heart a little bit it's like oh man you know if you can't beat him join him and my big fear is that and and luckily it hasn't happened so far that i'm aware but if that model ever makes its way to kind of you know uh mainstream's the wrong word but to dedicated gaming platforms right 
you know, if, if we started to see that model on Switch or PlayStation or Xbox, um, I, I, I don't know what I would do. I actually think that would, <laughs> that would kill games for me <laughs> as a, like well, I, I yeah. if that became a mainstream accepted thing, I'm out, Mitchell. I can't, I can't do I, that. I just know that I really don't want to wait until it spreads off of phones. Like we should be talking about what happens on phones much more uh, than we yeah. talk yeah. about things on consoles. Because the the long and the short of it is that people who regularly play consoles or PC gaming, um you usually know what's up to some degree maybe they're little kids and and that's a thing to think about but there are also people that just like have dedicated machines in their house for this thing they probably know a thing or two about a thing or two um people who are just like buying time so they can continue to play uh candy crush or whatever um that that is happening to just every person uh, whether or not they know about games, whether or not they, they really understand anything about monetization techniques or uh, games styles or anything like that, uh, that's happening to people. And and if we ignore it when it's mainstream and only start to really fight it when it gets into our, not niche, we're video game, uh, like traditional video games are pretty mainstream, but obviously more niche than, than phones. We already let them take over, and we have to start from a disadvantage of when they are already in power with these techniques on on mm-hmm. these other devices. Yeah, because they're they're gonna use yeah. the the excuse like we've run with uh, these techniques on on mo- our mobile games for years, and the government has not intervened at all. Uh, you've set a precedence for this being okay, and then that, ha- that would have to be true. Uh, we haven't cared. We haven't cared about the mobile game space monetization. And I think that's going to bite us in the ass. Well, this is one of the reasons why I, I'm really keen for services like Game Pass to be successful. Because if video games on consoles eventually become essentially Netflix of cons- of gaming, where... I can pay a subscription and I get access to these full games and I'm not paying for these little increments of time and I'm not buying boosters and that sort of thing. If it goes in that direction, I'm far more comfortable with that than the mobile model coming to to consoles and other platforms. And I think there are some good reasons why we haven't seen that happen so far and why it's unlikely to happen. But exactly as you say, like it's almost like mobile is a bit of a canary in the coal mine situation, um, and that and it does worry me. Uh, you know, the more successful that model is on mobile, the more tempted publishers might be to leverage it in other places. And I, I as I say, I think there are good reasons for them for them not to do that. But I'm also genuinely hoping they don't because I think that'd be a disaster. Um, for me, anyway. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Um, we had yeah. a third news item to talk about, but... Well, I'll just say what it is. Uh, <laughs> Auto chess is, is <laughs> a big deal. Neither James or I have really anything crazy to say about it, except for like, whoa, look at this. <laughs> so, uh, 
<laughs> so I guess we're going to skip that one. We, we spent a lot of time on the other stuff and I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we did that, but yeah. Um, yeah. So that's been our show. You can write into our show at podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. The email address once again is podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. Let's get into our after school activities. The after school activities is, of course, the section of the show where we give the listener a little bit of homework, a little bit of uh, something to do in between episodes of this podcast to go check out uh, elsewhere on the internet. So I'd like to recommend the YouTube channel Scruffy. Uh, Scruffy is a great YouTube channel. They do a lot of videos on Pikmin, uh, which is, I know it, not everyone's thing, but they also do a lot of, like, really in-depth videos on, like, how the sound effects in Pikmin have, like, get their emotional res- resonance, or how Mario soundtracks, uh, work with light motifs and, and establishing, uh, tones and establishing like recurring ideas uh to to make you feel various things playing through the games their musical stuff is really really interesting and really really cool so i i uh i recommend you check that out once again that's scruffy james what have you brought to after school activities So I I normally recommend a YouTube channel, but this time I'm going to go for something a little different. Uh, I'm going to recommend a weekly newsletter called Switch Weekly. Um, now you can find it at switchweekly.com. Uh, it's curated by Chris Brandrick over in the UK. And... It's really, really cool. Um, it's basically, it's just this weekly digest that's kind of everything that happened in the week in the world of Nintendo Switch. Um, and one thing I really love about it is, you know, yes, like Chris will will bring in uh, recommended articles from some of the big publications that, you know, you might have seen anyway if you're if you're following that stuff. But he'll bring in um, a lot of stuff from smaller publications, a lot of things you might not have seen, uh, and it's a really wide variety of stuff. So it's it's not so much about you know covering the latest news and that sort of thing. Um, he'll often uncover some really interesting articles, you know, editorials, thought pieces. Um, he'll do review roundups of the latest Switch games. Um, and it's just, it's really well, really well curated, really well written. And I find that I discover a lot of interesting writers and publications through Switch Weekly. I, I think the first thing I ever wrote for Medium, um, was picked up by Chris for, um, what I, I think is, was Switch Weekly, but like a, a maybe a precursor version of it. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, I, 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 uh, also definitely recommend checking that out. It, it is worth doing. Um, one, one final announcement before we wrap up the show. Um, of course, uh, you probably can't go anywhere within the video game sphere on online without hearing about Etika and what happened there. Um, so we just wanted to dedicate this episode for what little that's worth to victims of, of suicide. If you have... Uh, any conflicted feelings about what ha- what has happened with Etika or uh, pre-existing feelings 
or or anything that could could lead to uh suicidal tendencies or thoughts or uh j just feelings of fear or about that go ahead and call uh the number 1-800-273-8255 i know someone who works as as an operator for that hotline um mm. it, it's just like their job to be there and and they're um it, it's good to talk to them it's not it's not gonna feel like going to the doctor or a therapist uh, although you should you should also definitely consider going to a doctor or, th or a therapy if, if you need it. Uh, it it's just going to feel like talking to someone who is interested and in, in talking to someone who um, has the time to talk to you about whatever whatever feelings you have going on. Uh, just stay safe out there. Um, one of one of the prevailing thought reasons for suicide all, all although we'll never really know because a lot of the victims are dead um is that we we have a disassociation between what we can do and to ourselves and what will happen to ourselves uh because a, a lot of people who are suffering from from depression have a feeling of ineffectiveness they don't have a way of uh, feeling like what they're doing is important or affecting the world around them. They, they feel like they're just floating through life. So they also might have some subconscious feeling that like, well, if I try to kill myself, it won't work. And that's just not true. It, it can work. You can be pushed over the edge. Uh, you, you can push yourself over the edge or, or be pushed by external forces. Uh, just, just try to keep your, uh, your needs acknowledged by yourself understand that self-care isn't something that um is is just a luxury to do self-care is a very important part of your life and uh you should think about it like brushing your teeth or combing your hair or washing your clothes it's it's something uh your your, your mental health is so important so just once again that phone number uh if you need it is 1-800-273-8255 our theme song has been by Jamitar. Uh, I believe I decided that the theme song is called Jerome a few episodes ago, so it's that. Uh, please remember to subscribe to us, review on, uh, us on iTunes, tell a friend. We grow mostly through word of mouth, so all of that is appreciated. Thanks for listening, and stay super! super!